From Atlanta, where quarantine did nothing to solve our traffic, it's the Whole World Improv Podcast, brought to you by Whole World Improv Theater, Atlanta's original home of improv. Here are your hosts, artistic director Chip Powell, and the best guy to have on your trivia team because his mind is full of useless facts, John Mihalik. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whole World Improv Theater, the podcast. I'm John Mihalik, and with me, my co-host, my beloved artistic director, Chip Powell. Hello, Chip. What up, everybody? Hey, John. (laughs) Hey, really excited today to continue our talks on education with Tim Stoltenberg. So, hey, Tim, say hey to our viewers. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about your improv background, your history. I think like my history with improv is growing up in a theater household and doing theater growing up, we would do these like games in the wings and I never knew what they were, but they were improv games. And then when I got to college, I was doing a show with some uh, alumni of my school and they ran an improv club in Green Bay and we were doing those same games like backstage. And to me, I thought we were just joking around and doing bits until one of them said, you know, this is improv. And I was like, what exactly is improv? I had so small experience with it. And they're like, why don't you come take a class? So I came and took a class and that just opened that whole world for improv for me of like what it is, how it can be used in theater, how it can be used outside of theater. And I just, I was like, yeah, this is my medium that fits like sort of my mentality and my strengths and weaknesses. Your journey to actually dive into it, because I met you when you were first starting at Dad's Garage. Tell us, where are you to get to that point in your life that you're starting to work with dads? I moved down to Atlanta to work with the Academy Theater doing their children's program. And I had done improv in uh, Green Bay at Comedy City and transitioning from being a, a college kid to like trying to be a professional actor. I was like, I want to continue classes because I need that. And I was like, I'm going to take improv classes in Atlanta because that'll just keep me, if I'm not working or doing anything, it'll keep me like performing and my mind creatively working. And I met Tommy Futch with Often Matters. And we did like two classes together and we became friends. And one night he was like, you ever been to dad's garage? And I was like, no, why? He's like, I'm going over the night. I think you might like it. Mm -hmm. And we rolled over there together (laughs) and I met some of the guys, still had no idea what was going on started doing these workshops. No one ever told me like, this is what we do. I was just doing these workshops. And then I did a show not having seen a show at all. And yeah, totally blind with it. But from that, I think I came in with no expectations. And I was like, this fits. I want to do more. And then I just started doing more and more and more. And they got put in more shows and doing more things and developing relationships and friendships and then became part of the company and then ensemble member and yeah, I still remember that first day of walking into dads and seeing Z Gillespie on stage and being like, what is going on in here? I love him. Yeah, he's, <laughs> like he's totally such a good just, improviser. Yeah, and like when you see talent like that, you're immediately like, oh, that's great. I want to be around that. Oh, and yeah. I think that's what sort of opened that. And then after that, it was just classes and shows and learning and failing, a lot of failing to get better. Okay. Uh, it's funny you bring Z up because I had such a crush on him because he played this... Frenchman in scandal back in the day. And I was always like, oh my God, he is so good. What's the process for you as a, you know, where you are in improv now as to where you started? What do you think the journey was in education for you that kind of helped you get to where you are now? Can I interject something? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he does Dallas. Please tell me that was an improv show of some sort. It was a musical. And yes. uh, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit later on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. It, it, it was quite a show. Okay. I think that no. there's, there's two parts to that for me. There's the student part and then the teacher part. Mm-hmm. And I think like as a student, I just wanted to absorb as much as I could. You know, I remember going the whole world and going to other places, Atlanta and discovering like the Atlanta improv community and being like, wow, Atlanta really has a lot going on for improv and continues to keep changing and evolving and having more groups, which is great. So I think as a student, it's always like, I just want to get as much as I can. And I was reading books. I was taking notes. Tommy always made fun of me in his classes because I had a notebook and I would write things down. And he was like, you don't have to write things down. And I was like, I want to write things down. Like, I just, it was so exciting to me. And like, there were so many things going through my head of ideas and questions that if I didn't write it down, it'd just be lost. And I think improv taught me with like how I learn and take in information to to slow down and be present. Otherwise, my mind is always thinking about future things or past things or other ideas. And improv is all about what's going on right now. And I think that really helped me with like my learning disabilities and everything that I have to deal with of that focus. When I started teaching improv, I was just regurgitating things that were taught to me that like And I didn't really understand why it was just giving me a point to share with students. And then as I got older and became a better teacher, I started thinking, what were the things I wish I would have been taught when I was in level one or level five and starting to put those in there. So I think like my experience as a student helped me formulate how I approach teaching. And then through the years, and I'm sure Chip, you can uh, relate to this, as you as an artist grow and mature and change, how you taught 10 years ago is different to how you taught now. And what you do in improv is different from that. And now that we have that sort of experience, there's so much to draw from that when you walk into a workshop and you just like, I just want to watch and see what's going on. And you can watch people and be like, I can relate to that. Oh, I remember this. I always feel like when you share something about yourself with people, it creates vulnerability and and connection. So I was like, I always try to find a way to share with students. If I think there is an area they could focus on, be like, I was the same way, or I remember doing this. Let's try this. And I think so much of like good teaching is relating to one another and working together. Like, I don't say teaching anymore to my classes. I say, I'm happy to work with you because I learned so much from my students and I become a better improviser and teacher every class and every workshop. Anybody can teach improv. It's not hard. Teaching zip, zap, zap to somebody is not, you don't need a degree in that. But you become a really good educator. And what I mean by educator is you can identify the strengths and weaknesses in a student and then give them the steps to discover and grow. Mm-hmm. And then you do that with all 14 of your students in a class because they're all on different levels of what they need. And to me, those are the most like. In my experiences, those teachers have been the most impactful for me. And you see that these students are just like captivated and they're interested and they leave being inspired to keep growing. And to me, that's like, that's the point of teaching improv is to do that. Everything that you're talking about, I like for all of my main cast members when they start to become instructors to experience because you're going to start one way and you're going to have a syllabus maybe, you're going to be given a layout of what you should do, but as you start to develop your own style and your own teaching skills, they morph and change Mm. because I do feel like, like you're saying, you're going to get challenged in different ways with different people. And that's why I try to base all my classes on who are the participants and what are the needs of this particular group and how do we take that information and translate it so that everybody does feel like they're on the same level. 
there's always like the fine line of what it is, but you're right. I'm not teaching anywhere near close to what I did 20 something years ago. And it is important, I think, to share not only your successes, but the sometimes failures of improv, because I tell my students all the time when we're doing this little game called buzzer that, you know, uh, daddy choked (laughs) 26 years ago during a scene and it was bad and I will never forget it. And I got off stage and the actress that was working with me looked at me and said, what the fuck was that? And I was like, I don't know. It's like, hey, this is hard. And, you know, and you're coming in and you're new. And so you got to learn it. And so I always hear people say, well, improv is just too scary. And that's why I waited to do it last. That, yeah. That's kind of leads into what I wanted to ask. So in your background, sounds like, you know, you were doing this from childhood on in some form. When you're teaching, what do you find is the best way to help people get out of that shell that they're in? Improv intimidates so many people. Yeah. when they come there, how do you get people to really explore it and break out of those shells? I tell every class I work with two things. And the first one is you're not here to show if you're good or bad at improv. You're here to learn. And in learning requires you to fail and to grow and to reevaluate and kind of do that education journey through it. I try to speak to that to let people know, like, you don't have to show me you're funny. This is not what it's about. It's not an audition. We're not doing a show. You're here to learn and let's learn together. And the second thing that I stole from Mick Napier is the stakes couldn't be lower. We're just doing improv. Like we're making shit up. (laughs) We're just making shit up. No one's going to die or live from this. No one's going to get their career made out of this one workshop or even shows like you're here to have fun and do this art form. So do that. And leave all that other stuff outside because chipping, you guys know when you work with people, they, we make it so serious and important to us, which is great. But there also is like, look, it's improv. We're here to have fun. I'm standing on stage pretending to be a duck in a scene. Like, come on, have fun with this. So yeah. I always try to like sort of lower people's fears and anxieties so that they're not focused on that, but really trying to listen and connect with individuals and myself. And I find that has always been like a great way to start coming from a very empathetic point of view, like you were saying, Chip, of like sharing with people like, oh, I sucked for like three years. Like I was terrible. Yeah, yeah. But those were the some of the best years of my life where I learned so much that helped develop my skills, but also my voice as a performer going through that. Maybe people don't realize that anytime you take on an artistic medium or voice or form is like, you're going to fail a lot. But as you get older, you realize failures aren't a negative thing. They're just part of that process. And you need those in order to continue to develop and grow. Major support for Whole World Improv Theater is provided by the Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs, where beautiful people bring you the arts while surrounded by singing birds and fairies. They must have us mistaken for something like Shakespeare in the park. Or the vagina monologues. Vagina. Now, I want to ask both of you, give us a great failure that led to a great lesson. It doesn't have to be your biggest, most embarrassing failure, but what was a failure that you just, there was an epiphany that you had afterwards? I remember doing... I think I was doing comedy sports way early on and we were doing freeze with a prop. It was a shoe and I picked it up and I put it on my head and I tried to, I was like, Ooh, new French fashion. And it just, 
tank. No one's like, what are you talking about? Same thing. It was like, what are you doing? And like, I felt so self-conscious and so like, oh, this is terrible. But then watching veteran performers go up there and just die as much as I was, but they embraced it and they loved failing. And I realized it's like, oh, so much about this is enjoying that fail. And yes, and in your failure, the audience loves to see Mm-hmm. a mind in panic is a beautiful thing to watch and like seeing people go through that as long as you're confident with that you'll find something that is funny or engaging with the audience i've seen that in shows i've told um you know some of the apprentices that i've talked to is that um in an improv show the crowd almost enjoys you not doing it as well as i mean if you're trying your best the crowd kind of enjoys that just as much yeah yeah And if you're laughing at yourself and being like, oh, this was terrible. And the audience feels the same way. That's an agreement. And that's relating. And laughter is just an agreement. And it's just another form of laughter as an agreement with one another to be like, that was tough. Yeah, Tim, that sucked. Oh, I know. I was up there. (laughs) Like, You have that experience with one another. Oh, yeah. I think my one of my learning moments was the audience. We were repeating a scene and they said I should be more Carol Channing. And in my mind, I was like, what the, what? what? Yeah. And I was just like, so, so I was trying to do this, like that, talk like, that. it was so bad. And of course, everybody was laughing their ass off because it was so bad. Mm-hmm. And I got off stage and I was like, you know what? I'm going to turn that into a character. So I have a character named Bill Silverman now. And so Bill Silverman is director. And uh, he... <laughs> He has statements like, be so bold as to act. And I was like, screw y'all. I'm going to turn it into something. And I, when I started teaching, like, you know, dialects, impersonations, characters, all that stuff, I was like, look, a fail can be a win. Yeah. You know, I did a Carol Channing, and half the students didn't even know who the fuck Carol Channing was. I was going to make a point for you millennials out there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, look, look her up, Google her. But uh, she's there, and she kind of does talk like this. I don't know. I don't know. But... Uh, but it was a bad attempt and I did the best I could in the moment. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm going to do something with this. So it's maybe not the best impersonation, but it's definitely inspiration for a good character. And so I always tell people, you know, take your failure and try to work it. Like if you can't do that dialect, then maybe see if you can create a character out of what you are doing, like create something else. And so, yeah. And like, that's so true. And it's almost like you're teaching, you're teaching improv, you're teaching confidence in the self. But at the same time, that skill of like, okay, that may have failed, but these two aspects of it, I can take to use to create a new character is a whole other skill that you're teaching somebody. And it takes time for people to put all those things together to form their artistic self Mm -hmm. where they can do that. And you're like, you can see it in them. You're like, you'll get there. I know what you're going through. Yeah, you'll get there. When people are starting out, and I think I probably was here many, you know, 30 years ago, I was probably in the same position where I just didn't feel like I could do things. I was like, I'm not ever going to be able to do that. And I kept saying that to myself. And I believe one of the instructors here years ago that said, why do you keep putting that block up for yourself? Why don't you just try? So I started trying to do different things. And out of those different things, I was like, well, I'm just going to start creating characters because that works well for me. And I love doing it. You know, so taking that block away kind of freed me from thinking like, oh, 
doing this particular game is overwhelming, or I'm never going to be able to do an impersonation. It's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And trying to then do one, then do two, then do three, then keep building. And so when I'm talking to a lot of my students, I'm like, if you keep messing around with this stuff outside of the theater, because it's hard for you to learn all that in just two hours, we can't teach you how to build your arsenal. You just have to go out and build it yourself. And what are you going to put in it? Absolutely. You're right. Like in two hours, we're just touching whatever aspect they're focused on. Go out in the real world and keep that in like the front of your mind when you have conversations with people, when you watch people, all of that is just fodder for inspiration or like, oh, I can, I'll take a little from this. I'll take a little from that. I'll take a little of that. And in class, I've come up with this new character. And like those moments as a teacher are the most rewarding to see in students when they make that discovery and they're like, that was awesome. And you're like, that was awesome. That is so rewarding as a teacher to see. Yeah. And I think on the flip side, like, what do you feel like there was a great aha success moment for you on stage? Do you have any memories of like, man, I, I really, I'm feeling this, I'm getting it. Yeah. I remember one of my first shows at Second City, we were doing mime gibberish debate or something. I, something like that, where I had the mime information And I was new and I was very self-conscious about being in Chicago and at Second City and performing with some really like very funny and wonderful people. And I was doing mime debate and I started doing my mime work and it went on longer than it should, but because it was still engaging. And afterwards, people were like, that went on way too long. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And they're like, no, it was great. We haven't seen like that sort of object work in a very long time. And it just... Everybody was sort of like, oh, wow, that was really good. And like that just, I think, open conversations to have with people that I was intimidated talking to, that they were like, that was really funny, man. And to hear that from somebody that you are looking up to or intimidated by just made me be like, why did I feel so in tune with that moment? And the aha moment for me was, I wasn't thinking about anything else except just doing what I really thought was funny, what I really liked. Doing this mime bit was so funny to me. And I I sort of forgot about everything else and just did that. And I was like, the more I follow what I think is funny and what I like to do, the more success I'll have on stage with the audience, with the shows and with fellow performers. And then I started to see that people were real confident in themselves to be like, this is what I think is funny. I want to do this. And I was like, I need that same sort of confidence in myself. And even if it fails or you try something and it doesn't work, you're like, okay, I'm still confident in myself because I'm going to try again. And every time I try, I have to have that same confidence in something, mm-hmm. which to me was something I really didn't like reflect on myself of like, oh yeah, what is my confidence in myself? And how it, as an artist, we all have that self-doubt of like, you know, you do one show where you don't feel good. You walk off stage and you're like, that's it. I'm done. This is stupid. I should have never done this. I've wasted my life. I'm going to go get a real job, you know. Um, but <laughs> Mom would be so happy that I got a real job finally. Exactly. But that moment sort of helped me continue to push forward with my career of why I'm doing this. Is that find your self-confidence. And it's different for everybody. Everybody has some sort of point of confidence that they can go to that always be like, you're funny, you're good, keep going, you're doing fine. I like that phrase. Have you found that point of confidence is different for people? How do you get people to realize where they are with that point of confidence and move it forward? I think it's what Chip, you had mentioned of outside of class. Like I always ask my students, I'm like, share with me one of the bits you do with your loved ones or your friends. Like, these little bits and people will explain them and they'll be like, it's funny in the moment, but I'm like, Oh, this is good. Like 
that's what you should share. And yeah. people who you go to next and they're like, I don't, I don't have any bits. And I'm like, you don't have any bits? Like little jokes, little actions you do with your friends? No. And I was like, that's your homework. Come up with yeah. a bit with a friend. Because that's really when you are, you're not thinking about trying to be funny. You're in the moment, you're relating to people. That to me is something that I always try to find for folks. Like if you can find that bit, use that and see what happens mm -hmm. and then go from there. Yeah, I think that's similar when we're working on like characters and stuff like that. I'm like, yeah, what are you doing at parties? You know, you're doing something. But my other favorite was uh, this guy came in and he was really cool for school. He always wore like dress pants and a dress shirt to class. And I was like, you know, you can untuck that shirt and we can have some fun here. Um, but he was very uh, professional. And I love that because I, I know that we train people from different walks of life to come in and he's not here to be an improviser. He's just trying to get better at work. And I get that. But he said, uh, yeah, I don't do emotions. I said, oh, you don't. I said, well, how about you and I get in your car and we drive up to 285 and we loop it and then I'll record you and we'll see how many emotions you don't have. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I just thought it was like, buddy, he was like, yeah, I don't do it. I don't do the emotions. <laughs> okay, well, all right. So you're not human. You're just turning this whole thing off and just a robot. Like that is a wonderful way to be like, oh yeah, you don't think you have emotions? Yeah. Drive on 285 and yeah, I bet so you'll experience a lot of different I bet, emotions. I bet I'll record you and we'll see some, some action. <laughs> <laughs>
And I, that's the one thing. It's so hard though, because some people are so like, I am right and I will not change. And you're like, you can be right on stage and it won't be funny, or you can be wrong and get some laughs. I leave that up to you. And one or two shows usually changes people because they're like, how much <laughs> we've all been there where you get on stage and you're like, oh, this is going to kill. And you do it and it's silence. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's the most humbling moment of a performer. You do that a couple times and you'll change your tune about what you think is right or wrong. Yeah. My uh, advice, drill sergeants, when I entered the army, mm -hmm. they have a very effective way of tearing down your ego. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should do that, have a drill sergeant improv class for just for <laughs> ego-driven people and just cut them down. I could do that, but I'll end up just doing an impression. I actually, you know, talking about impressions, I have an impression of drill sergeant counsel, my senior drill. I am drill sergeant counsel, your senior drill instructor. I can do that all day. But the way that he talks is funny. But the things, the absolute berating things that he said every day would not. <laughs> you don't want that in education situation at all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, I know you can be a tough teacher sometimes. I, no, I don't call it tough. I just call it honest. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got to understand that we're not trying to break you. We're not trying to yeah. break you down. We're trying to educate you. And this is a tough business. So you got to get a thicker skin because it's one of those things that you've got to make sure that you're ready for the next challenge. And so you got to shake off the last thing, get ready for the new thing and move forward. And I feel like our workshops here on Wednesdays with our apprentice and our main cast, I'm always telling them, this isn't a show. This is a workshop. This is where you experiment. This is where you go balls to the wall. This is where you try new things or try it a different way. And don't play safety and give me what you would give me in a show. Mm -hmm. Give me, what are you pushing? How are you pushing the envelope to get to the next level? So I don't think that it's, Maybe it's tough love. I don't know. But it's one of those things that when you're a director, you have to direct. And sometimes it's good and great. And sometimes it's a little tough. I try to find the balance, you know? Yeah. I think you're so right with that point. Like, yeah, we're not trying to break you here. <laughs> like it's, it's improv. We're here to have fun. I'm going to challenge you to keep growing and get better. And I think once people understand that of like, I'm not here to, to be your, you know, your drill sergeant. I'm here to as an artist to help you grow as an artist. And I think once they see that, it helps so much. And like, just what you said about like workshop, this is the chance to, to take a big risk and maybe be uncomfortable with the choice and to reflect on like, yeah, that didn't work. And to have other people be like, I see what you're trying to do. What if you tried this? Like that is just more tools to keep growing, to come out of that workshop with a new character idea that you can do in a show and have a better chance of it succeeding for laughter. We have an actress here named Paige, and we were backstage, and she was doing one character, but we were all, you know, before the show, riffing on her and having fun with her and her character, and we ended up changing the name of that character, and she she came out in a completely different way, and she nailed it, and I was just like, and that was just from collaboration from backstage with everybody, and it was fun to watch her creating that night and then come out and you're on stage with her and she nails it. And you're like, oh man, see, that's such a great feeling to, even though it's not your moment, you're still able to be a part of it with them and go, wow, you just killed that. You, you did great.
that's like you're saying when you hear that as a performer as well you're like oh wow that's so good to hear that you just did something and you got immediate acknowledgement for it and it just kind of builds your confidence to go and yeah. do more yeah and i think like that's the role of a good director or a good teacher is to make you feel good about yourself and to keep instilling that confidence so that you can continue to try and fail and realize like you said in that workshop like this is the chance to do that. Mm -hmm. That's what class is for is to try things out or to get direction mm -hmm. so that when you have the opportunity in a show, even if it's right before the show, that last minute change still works like such an organic way to develop that we try to recreate in workshops all the time and <laughs> just backstage doing bits works so yeah. great. And to see them succeed is like, yeah, that's awesome. What's one of your favorite things to kind of teach your students when it comes to any program that you're teaching? Like, what do you look forward to? Uh, silence. Love that. So much. Like, I think improv and then the, the idea we have about improv is like, we always have to be funny. So everything I say and do has to be funny, which there is truth to that. But there's also a lot of power to being silent in a scene and letting the audience fill in an emotion. I love doing workshops where when students are at that place to do that, where like, can you get just as big as reaction from a look or from an eye look at somebody as you can from like a, a two sentence joke? And once you find that, you start seeing the negative space in scenes that you can fill with a look or a pause or a motion or not saying anything. Yeah. And it's really yeah. intimidating, especially in our culture, like silence usually means you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Or they, they're scared of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then once you realize the power that you have on stage with silence, it will make things more impactful, be it comedy or drama. That tool is so huge. And I love opening that door for students and letting them play in that to see what comes out. And then after, like, you know, you talk to them a year or two later and they're like, oh, not talking in a scene was one of the best things I ever did. And I was like, sometimes, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah I, love, I love exploring that with them. Yeah. I love those moments. You know, we had uh, years ago, one of our founding uh, members, Wes Kenilmore, was like the king of silence. And I used to love to be in a scene with him because I knew I wasn't going to speak first. And I would always just go off his cues. And we did a whole entire scene one night not even speaking a whole entire word, the whole entire scene. And it was one of those that killed because the things that we were doing within the scene to one another, it was just one of those. And you get off stage and you're like, that was amazing. And there was no pressure to speak. And it was just like, just taking cues from each other physically. And with, like you said, the facial expressions and all of that. <laughs> It's amazing. And like, I recall doing scenes like that and you get off stage and you're so like tweaked because you're like, we haven't done a scene like that in so long. Like I didn't have to say anything. And like, that's totally not the norm for what we do on stage. It's exciting as a veteran performer. And then I think also exciting for new performers to see like, oh, you don't have to say anything in improv. Like, no, you, you know, yeah. you can do anything you want, really. He asked for um, a scene one night where he could just do a scene by himself. Yeah. And he came out with a briefcase, never said a word. And he did a complete magic show <laughs> without ever saying a word. And it was all this ridiculous stuff. Like he was putting shoes on pencils and walking them, you know, just like all this ridiculous stuff. But it was, it just killed because it was hilarious. The unexpected always brings me back to improv is like finding that unexpected moment that even after 20 years of doing this, you're like, I think I know what's going to happen in a scene. And when you see it, you're like, I had no idea that could happen. It keeps me coming back day after day.
So tell us what's next for you over there. What's your next teaching adventure? Well, getting classes back. I just taught a class and I'm taking a break because I have, my schedule doesn't allow me to teach as much as I want. Yeah. But I think for us right now is that coming out of that pandemic of 18 months, and you guys have been a little open longer than we have, it's now as a company coming back together and being mm -hmm. like, we all know how to do improv and it's not like we forgot how to do it. Yeah. But that unspoken language between performers needs to be uh, have a little TLC. So we're mm -hmm. starting to get back together as a company and just reminding ourselves why we love improv and why we love working with these people. As you know, Chip, you get so busy doing shows, oh, yeah. you just don't have time to workshop with other people. And if there's one thing, if we can start drawing good things out of the pandemic is that we have time now to spend a little time on ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have to go nonstop because we're not completely open. So let's take time to, to workshop on a Thursday night since we're not doing Thursday shows for ourselves and just yeah. have that time. We just did one yesterday and it was really exciting. We just did like an hour and a half of what are the warmups we normally do? What are ones that we haven't done in years? And what if we made up like a bunch of new ones? And that's all we did for a workshop. Yeah. I mean, these people have been doing improv for 10 plus years. And to see people who have done improv that long get excited about warmups again was, yeah. was like, oh, yeah. So I think it's like doing that as a company, remembering the little things and spending just a little time on those to make them sort of new and exciting again before we get back into, you know, nonstop shows. Yeah. So that was really eye-opening for me and being like, oh, that made me feel more like, yes, let's keep going on this. It just gave me that confidence in self and as a company that let's keep doing it. It was a while, I think, you know, when we came back from doing the Zoom shows, I mean, okay, so first there was the oh, God, we're out. We can see each other again. I can actually hug you. Yeah. You know, there was that part. But then there are so many little context clues you miss, you know, the uh, the slight nod or someone's eyes open a little bit. Yeah. Just in the body language, because sometimes if you've been doing this long enough, you can just look at somebody, you know, just, okay, that's his puzzled face right there. <laughs> he doesn't know what I'm going to say good. next. And there's so much of improv, and we even teach it. Just look at where your partner is, respond to what your partner is giving you. Right. It's hard to do over Zoom, mm -hmm. but it's so much more vivid in person. Yeah. It was such an interesting experience, like when the pandemic happened and everybody was like, well, what do we do? And everybody's like, to the online. And everybody was doing shows online, mm -hmm. which was great because it still allowed us to teach and do shows. But everybody was kind of like, oh, this is different. I don't know if I like it. Yeah. But as the pandemic went on, like, look, this is going to be happening for a while. So you better figure out how to make it worthwhile and make it fun. So then we got better at Zoom work. And then when we came back here, I think everybody was like, yeah, we'll just go back to what we did before. And I was like, but we can't. We, we have to spend time and reflect on what has happened, what's changed, and what are we doing now that's going to move us forward. And a lot of that is remembering those nonverbal cues or that unspoken language between performers. Because on Zoom, you just, you didn't really have that. You didn't need it, actually. It was a total different sort of medium for that art form. So yeah, exploring that again and, and reminding each other like, oh yeah, that personal energy between each other.
Yeah, I think that was our first challenge coming back was we had some company members that were comfortable coming in, some that weren't, some that wanted to stay online. So we were in such a, back before yeah. April, we were in such an iffy area of what do we do? Like, how do we do this? And as we've been figuring it out, it was just, okay, well, this group will be here, this group will be there. And slowly that has come together. And that's okay. been a good thing. You know, back in July, because we didn't have a Christmas party the year prior. We did Christmas in July. We had a Christmas party, which was a lot of fun. They love to do a lot of potluck around here. Oh, yes. Everybody likes to show off their cooking, baking skills. I have the best silverware from Costco. That is anytime <laughs> I have a potluck, I provide the best plate, napkins, cups. cups. I'm that guy. So that's his forte. <laughs> I love it. Like, you're right. Every potluck, you're going to have three people bring their deviled eggs because people are really proud of it. <laughs> but then there's also the one person that if they don't make it, uh, our case, I think it's Josh Rosenthal, that yeah. challah bread. Oh, yeah. He if he so doesn't much. bring his challah bread to a potluck, we pick him out until he makes, makes it, it and brings, and brings it, back it back to us. It's so good. <laughs> we we have somebody who makes their mac and cheese. August makes his mac and cheese. Everybody's like, hey, man, did you bring that, did you bring that mac and cheese? Because you can't get in, and if you didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tim, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate your insight. So uh, tell our folks where to find you, what's going on. You can find us at Dad's Garage. We're doing shows Fridays and Saturdays at 8 and 1030. Classes are slowly coming back. So we're as we continue to navigate through the pandemic, we're here and we just want people to come back safely, enjoy theater, and remember to go out and support live theater. Chip, it's you guys know, like it, the next year is going to be really interesting. Is that where we're going to need people to come back and support the arts community? It's one thing to survive a pandemic, it's another thing to survive that reopening of a pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's the one thing that Atlanta arts community has done really well is support other theater companies, but also support that community to be like, get back out here, go see a, a show at Horror World, go see a show at Dad's, go see a show at the Alliance, like get back out there and support live entertainment for folks. And if you want more information, you can go to timstoltenberg.com. <laughs> that's right. about him and all his accolades. <laughs> that's right and dadsgarage.com will have all of our show information that if you want to check us out we'd love to have you that's great thanks again tim we could talk to you all day but we'd love to have you back very very soon thank you so much thank it was you. a pleasure thanks for listening to the whole world improv theater podcast we were told not to cuss so much so kids could listen. Those people obviously haven't heard all the rest of the explicit stuff we've covered. Ooh, my first whole world class show. <sighs> oh my gosh. I can't believe you guys let me get away with the stuff I said on stage. Man, but I'm thankful for that. The Whole World Improv Podcast is a production of Whole World Improv Theater in association with Headspace Industries. The executive producer, writer, and propagator of Deportment is Chip Powell. And John Mihalik does stuff. All right. <sighs> Three straight weeks of humility on the credits. I think he's lulling me into a false sense of security or, like, doing some reverse psychology on me so I can't insult him. <sighs> Original music by The Gentle Readers. Please help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving us a review. We totally do the same for your podcast. 
Whole World Improv Theater is a 501c3 nonprofit theater. Please support by donating at our website, wholeworldtheater.com. And remember, it's tax deductible. So take that money and go on a shopping spree at Dollar General. Additional writing and voiceover from me, Kate Arlo, also known as Slappy Face McGee. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.